What's going on, guys? 360 Digital Closing Bell here. I am your humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, live from an undisclosed location here in Denver, Colorado, here for our weekly Look Back podcast. As always, I am joined by the executive producer of the show and director and publisher of www.oilandgas360.com, the world's greatest oil and gas website, Stu Turley. He is live from an undisclosed location from Dallas. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Weather's great, busy week. Sure, appreciate you. I'm glad the weather's good, though. We got about six inches this morning. So we're living in a winter wonderland here in Denver. Um, you know, we're recording this on a Thursday, um, you know, as we always like to have this in your inbox before the market opens on Friday. So it's Thursday. We, we got some snow going on here. It's nice. Nice. Uh, the, dog, the dog loved it. Got a sprint, but then I had to go clean her off, so it took a while. But we have a great, great show for you guys lined up today. So much stuff happened. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about all things that happened in the Texas oil and gas um, regulatory meeting. Ryan Sitton talked for a while. Scott, you know, we have so many great things to chat about with that. Uh, as always, we're going to look at the week ahead or what happened in oil. We've got some great stories lined up. The OPEC dropped a April monthly report, which was really, really fascinating. Um, Oxy's paying Buffett back. In stock that's very spicy uh we've, we'll check the levels for the week obviously what happened at the eia um biases for the week tom has got a great short for us um stew's gonna stay strong with his picks and then obviously we will get into that before we dive in to part one here really what i just want to do is get some clerical out of the way as always if you're not subscribed to, to the show on itunes spotify youtube please please stop what you're doing pause the show subscribe 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 unsubscribe resubscribe whatever makes those itunes and spotify algorithms go nuts that is awesome we've loved all the reviews we've had so far you can also follow and watch the show on youtube and intercom please subscribe we're actually doing a live of well, well you know as this podcast is dropped we will have done a live event and we really appreciate everybody who joined us for that event last night you can also follow us on linkedin oil and gas 360 intercom connect with both of them follow them you can also connect with me michael tanner Stu, Stuart turley you know we, we we have really great interviews that we're dropping on the oil and gas energy 360 network um asset energy ventures with david forsberg we dropped him on monday we dropped a great interview with site pro and the two co-founders of that i'm um, really talking about the dissertation of the oil field and that's you know partly what we talked about at that live event last night and we have a bunch of great interviews that we've already can that we're going to be continuing to push out there and with that I want to shift gears to the Texas Railroad Commission meeting on proration because I think really that was the talk this week. Um, it, it happened on Tuesday, and it was about an, an eight-and-a-half-hour meeting. I, I promise you. I started watching this thing. It went live at 8.30 Mountain Time, and I, didn't, I don't think it wrapped up. I don't have the final numbers, but it was like an eight-and-a-half-hour meeting. It was, um, it, was, it was well into four or five o'clock. There was over 60 people who, you know – were called to, you know, what, what they call witness when they were for or against. And what was interesting was, you know, there was, you know, there was some rumors coming around on the splits on what um, some of the, the numbers were. And it was really about 50-50 of about the 70 people who uh, were witnesses. It was pretty much a 50-50 split between people who were for or against proration. And to sort of, you know, give you the lay of the land before me and Stu dive into really what we think the outcome of this is going to be. Really how this all started is this Texas is there, you know, the Railroad Commission has three commissioners. They are equally powered. No one is more powerful than the other, and they have three of them. So it makes a very nice odd number. You never come to any sort of gridlocks. You either are passing things two to one or, or, or by a uh, majority count. So three weeks ago, Ryan Sitton, who's one of the commissioners, he's actually outgoing. He's not running for reelection. Comes out of three weeks ago and, you know, really goes, is kind of sort of 
for it. He basically says, I think we should consider it, you know, mainly because I think he's hearing pressure from two companies, Pioneer and Parsley, because about a day after Ryan Sitton comes out and says he's actually sort of kind of maybe for it, Parsley and Pioneer formally introduced the motion that required Texas to meet on proration on Tuesday and came out and formally raised the issue, which is that you should cut production. And as we heard on Tuesday, Pioneer is willing to cut up to 20% of its supply of its crude production in order to lower um, and meet within the standards that would be called by production. So it was a fascinating thing. Um, as we know, Parsley, he's our favorite mind CEO, Matt Gallagher. Um, he had a really great quote. We're going to dive into that. I thought was great, but you know, so those are the two people on, on the four side, on the against side, you have Marathon Oil, Optino, Texas Oil and Gas Association, and you know pretty much the entire petroleum department at Texas A&M. I heard about six professors speaking coming out against Ford. And, you know, really, they're they're you know both sides have valid issues. If 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 you're for proration, you're pioneer partially. You know, your 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 pitch is simple. Hey, this is an unprecedented time. We've never dealt with a worldwide virus that has cut supply by so that has cut demand for oil so much this is not a this is not just a response to saudi and russia this is a response to an unprecedented virus that is happening and there's some truth to that because you're right we've never really had a virus like this that has completely shut down the u.s economy but on the flip side when you know if you're the texas oil and gas commission you know they bring up the argument of well you know the free markets are already working supply is already coming off the market we'll get into that in the, in the EIA report, but again, this week's 100,000 barrels get come off the market. So the market is working, and long-term, is these regulations, is prorating a good idea when demand could come back quicker than people think, or it could come back slower? And if it come back, comes back slower, it doesn't necessarily hurt provision. But what happens if demand instantly kicks back? And it goes from, and, and people basically do the reverse quarantine. I mean, I'm planning on it. When, when this is over, I don't know if I'll come home for a month. So if this actually happens and there's a reverse quarantine, you're going to see demand for flights. You're going to see demand for gasoline shoot up, I think. And then proration is a horrible solution, especially when you, because now you're going to see prices skyrocket. You think volatility is bad now? Imagine if in three days the price went to $45. That wouldn't do anyone any good, really. You really want to see a slow, protracted, let's move up. You know what I mean? We don't need whipping and we need to be able to fill the supply gap. So, you know, that kind of gets into, I'm sure you know where I fall on this. I'm against proration. I think as we'll look in the EIA, I think the market is already cutting supply. I think the long-term effects, we don't know what's going to happen when this virus comes back. Much like we didn't anticipate this virus coming. I don't necessarily know if we can predict what's going to happen when it comes back. I could be convinced otherwise, but you know, if you had to, if I was voting and I was on this and I was a commissioner, I was commissioner, you know, Michael Tanner on the Texas Railroad Commission, I'm voting no. Stu, what are your thoughts? Um, I don't know yet, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm a little confused, and that is um, the if Trump kicks in, kind of like I had told you, uh, he might step in and have something big. I don't know what the effect of him stepping in and paying companies not to produce oil. The people uh, get used to that money. Uh, it is totally against the whole free market, and I don't know. So I don't know that I'm much help on this. I've got to do more research to get an answer on that. So, uh, Yeah, I mean – I think proration is a different scenario than what you're talking about, which was a news item that dropped where Trump is considering paying drillers. 
or and and drillers. Yes. The, my my news ticker doesn't really know the difference necessarily. Paying oil producers not to produce oil. Basically, what it would be. Basically, what that is is. Trump administration, the Department of Energy is considering designating certain oil reserves, prove oil reserves as U.S. strategic reserves and paying for that oil up front. They're allocating is like about a billion dollars towards that or about right. uh, 330 million barrels of oil is what they're, or it's like 323 million if I remember the quote right. So that's, that would be, you know, it's basically crop rotation. We already pay farmers not to produce certain crops in certain times. You know, I'm, that would be a very interesting scenario. I'm with the, I'm, I, I don't know if that can, you know, the, I mean, it's unprecedented times and that's really what um, was, was, was what the argument. I mean, Scott Sheffield in his quote, this is one of his quotes. He's like, I'm going to compare this crisis to 1986. This is probably going to be worse than 1986. Demand is not mm-hmm. going to come roaring back. Barrels of $20 will have an 80% bankruptcy rate. 250,000 employees will lay off. Barrels of 30 prices or what we call were crippled price, but at least we're, at least the industry will survive waiting until the virus ends and demand picks up by the end of 2021. I mean, I, that, that is the worst case scenario. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that demand come back by the end of 2021. No, I, I, yeah. no, no, no. I, I think that's a little, a little stretch as long as now is, but he's right that at barrels of, you know, barrel of oil at $20, 80% bankruptcy rate. He's probably right on that one. See, and, and that's the dynamics that I don't know how to answer that question. I'm a, I am for the free market. I'm against uh, having the Texas Commission say you will only produce this amount. I am for Texas joining OPEC plus so that Texas and everybody could have a say in the world. But I'm really confused, Michael, right now, because if Trump does step in, mm-hmm. that affects exactly what you've been ranting on. So... I don't know what's. Yeah, so. and um, I'm glad we're not on the commission because this would be a tough vote. But if you know the traitor in me always has to give you guys a bias, I'm voting no. So that's. I agree with you on that, Michael. Chalk me up for a no, and you know, let's go ahead and just shift gears now to just looking back at what happened at oil. Obviously, we just talked about really the main story that happened, which was the proration meeting. But but there was a lot more stuff that gets into it. But before we do that. As always, segment two is brought to you by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely great research. They provide all of the levels you're about to hear via their Energy Club solution, which is one of the top oil and gas market intelligence solutions. You know, rumor has it they're about to launch a newsletter here that's specifically going to be uh, coming from the perspective of crude oil traders. And uh, sorry, my, uh, this is what happens when you do a live show. Sometimes my camera gets whacked because I'm swinging my arm so much and the green screen gets attacked. So, but, but you know, Michael, I absolutely love it when you rant. Uh, you are so entertaining on your ranting. Thank I'm you. We'll continue to do it. But when I, when I, so forever you listen on the podcast, um, you, you're probably wondering what this, I'm not cutting this out, but I, uh, I swing my arms when I talk just because that's just how it happens. And my camera just sits on my desk. And sometimes when I bang it loud, the camera spins and now all of a sudden, you, you don't see the green screen in the nice boardroom. If you're on YouTube, you see, you know, my windows. Oh, I don't know. I enjoy your ranting. Keep going. Thank you. Back to it. Sandstone. They, they just do great research. You know, rumor has it to drop in a nice energy market newsletter. Um, it's just rumors though. So we'll keep you guys updated. If you want to, you know, you want to work with them, just email Connor, Connor at sandstonecg.com. Um, just mention the podcast. You got sent by the podcast. It's the only way we get credit for it. And uh, they definitely make sure to get you a great deal. But a couple stories we need to get to, you know, really, first off, I just want to, you know, OPEC releases uh, their April monthly report. 
Um, you know, I'm always skeptical of OPEC numbers because there's an agenda behind it, much like the IEA is, you know, I, I don't trust their numbers. Um, but it is nice to know this is what some traders look at. They're cutting 2020 global oil demand growth from 0.7 million barrels a day to negative 6.8. So to comparison, the IEA did 10 million barrels on a month-to-month basis, but they then they see that maximum that could be 29. These guys, you know, they see total demand at uh, OPEC sees total demand at 93 million barrels, which was is only about seven million barrels less. So they're a little bit bullish. They're cutting non-OPEC supply from one million barrels a day plus down to minus 1.5 million barrels. And that's obviously because of some of the agreements that are coming. Saudi Arabia, March oil production rose from 6.2 to 6. Or, or excuse me, from 9.62 to 9.68. So they raised 600,000 barrels in March, even though they claimed they were going to go what? By three? What was it? They were going to go from nine to 13. And then the actual numbers come out in March. And so I mean, it's just why it's a news driven. It's, it's a news driven business we're in. It's unbelievable. Um, February inventory revels rose by 5.6 million barrels. So that's not a great number because we still know that there's supply on the market. But that's really what OPEC's thinking. And, you know, not that I necessarily give much weight to those numbers, but it's good to know where they stand. You know, before Stu gets into a couple things we need to chat about, really the, the, the big, the, my, my biggest story of the week is, you know, not to just continue to pile on Oxy because I think they've had a, a bad, not only a bad month, but I think they've had a bad couple of months. Um, but it's really funny. So as, as everybody knows, they bought um, Anadarko for like 30 billion, some, some wild number, 44 billion, some number, and they needed $10 billion to finance that in cash because there's so much you have to pay in cash versus you can pay in stock. You can't just acquire for a company all in stock. Then you have some sort of cash on hand. And so they got 10 bills from, from Warren Buffett who's sitting on like a hundred billion right now and just sitting on it in cash. I remember it'll be very interesting to see what their quarterly statement comes out for Berkshire, but nonetheless, I get sidetracked. They, and so what the, basically that, what that note worked, you know, what that note worked down to be was a quarterly dividend of about 800 million and it was cash tier one. This stuff, it never goes away. You go bankrupt, you still owe this money. The person who picks up this, this company still owes it. Well, they were able to come to agreement this week with Berkshire where instead of paying them in cash, their quarterly dividend, they're paying them in stock, which is just an absolute, to be honest, slap in the face to the average shareholder. Um, Anadarko, you know, excuse me, um, Oxy. I want to get this right. It's a slap in the face to Oxy shareholders because Oxy right now is a market cap company of $11 billion and they owe 10 billion or about 9 billion. And it's like eight, uh, it's like seven still to Warren Buffett. And now they're diluting shareholder stock. I'd be furious if I was a common shareholder and wasn't on the board. This is a disastrous decision. Oxy deserves, you know, I hate to say this, they deserve to eat their own at this point. And it'll be a fascinating bankruptcy when it all plays out. That is an MBA study and worth your rant. I, it, holy cow. Uh, they uh, presented last year at uh, the uh, oil and gas conference in Denver, uh, last year's conference. And it was very interesting. It was their first presentation mm -hmm. after the merger happened. Excellent presentation explaining why the whole thing was just crazy. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, we got into this with, with Nick Barry on one of our shows and, you know, man, I'm going to definitely have to ask him about this because he's going to work. He's going to love this. But one of the things Nick Barry mentioned is back, you know, a year ago from a reservoir perspective, Anadarko had some of the best rock in the Delaware basin, which is your 
tier one acreage when it comes to, you know, Permian shale, which is about all that was making money, you know, a year ago. So on paper, I think the acquisition looked great. I mean, you know, I, I think once Oxy, you looked at the finance, I think right after the acquisition, you looked at the balance sheet for Oxy and you were like, oh, wow, I didn't really necessarily expect all of this debt. And then when prices never necessarily came back, you knew it was trouble. I mean, they just, you know, they're victim of a low commodity environment, but they also very much leveraged up in an opportunity where, you know, maybe the, the, the chance was to sit this out. Chevron has to be licking his chops right now. Their, their executive team, they should get the, the non-move of the year from 2019, 2019 goes to Exxon, or excuse me, Chevron for, you know, getting outbid. <laughs> Talk about dodging a $10 billion bullet. 10, 20. I mean, who knows what would have happened. But all right, oh. Stu, you've got some stuff we need, you need to update us on. It's the came across oh, yeah. your news desk. Uh, yeah, uh, seeing so many uh, investor meetings being uh, going, going to uh, – just virtual. I just want to give a shout out to the oil and gas conference coming up in August uh, 16th. And uh, it is the 25th anniversary of one of the best single investor conferences. Yes. Uh, we normally have 2000 attendees. We have 2,500 one-on-ones. Uh, our Dallas one, uh, we had uh pretty good attendance, but it was beginning of the, the virus. Yeah. But Michael, you know what was goofy? Was the amount of cotton picking views, our uh, live views, live streams went nuts. Mm. Um, if we weren't using a good system like IBM, we were using IBM to do all of our video, uh, it would have been a disaster. Oh, so, I, can, I can imagine. And I was definitely one of those people live streaming. So and you, you, the numbers were really good. Oh yeah, phenomenal. I got one, I'm gonna rant for half a second, okay? Oh, I'm ready for this. Okay, I, we're in the uh, Trump world right now mm -hmm. of getting rid of um, you know regulations and everything else. We gotta have the keystone to bring crude in from Canada so we're not beholden for our heavy oil, right? We have to. I actually saw this graphic on LinkedIn the other day where it showed at world exports and where oil flows from and where it flows to. And all of the crude from Canada flows directly to the United States. It's one of the craziest visuals. I mean, I knew it, but it's just weird to see it in a visual. I'm going to see if I can find it and share my screen for the people who are watching on YouTube. I'm and give me a second. My, uh, Michael, the other one that we have is if we're going to have NOPEC, where it's North America uh, and where you're relying on Mexico, Canada, and not having to worry about OPEC, right? Mm -hmm. This Keystone judge, U.S. judge cancels Keystone permit. U.S. Chief District Judge Brian Morris rule Wednesday the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers failed to properly analyze the proper effects of another endangered species. We're back on this again. Like, this. we're back to this. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, we have, uh, uh, sorry, I'm ranting. You can see the big picture that we've been talking about. I'm ranting. All right, I'm done. You rant so much better than I do. No, I just, no, I'm glad that you, you, you did rant. It's just, I just, you know, we're back on, you know, endangered species. Like, I get it, but we're back on that. understand. Okay. Well, here's that graphic I was telling you about. This is actually courtesy of somebody on LinkedIn. Um, who I saw this. So you can see Canada 
whoop us who sells crude to who whom you can't whoop so that's why we need the keystone pipeline people um that is this graphic right here is why Stu is absolutely correct the keystone pipeline is unfortunately necessary because canada's i mean canada crude is selling at four bucks that differential four dollars that's not the differential the differential is like 13 bucks four dollar canadian crude that's why we need the keystone pipeline Exactly right there. So if you don't have an opportunity to see this on the podcast, um, I'll see how I can get this posted to my LinkedIn. I'll make sure to have it in the notes when I uh, tweet this show out. But Canada, I mean, it's, it's really the, 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 you know, exactly why we need it. And, uh, you know, as we move into the levels for the week and we look at actually crude, I mean, while we're you know recording this crude is dumped now below 20 bucks, I'm seeing 1977, not a good number to see, but really, you know, you know, the, the one good thing on the week was my bias was short on oil. That was correct. We had proration meetings all day. We had even decent EIA numbers come in and it was down all week. Oil started at about 2240 this week, tumbled all the way down. And just really hung out at that $19, $20 level. I mean, it really, it acted as a really great point of resistance if you're looking at specifically levels. But, um, you know, really, you know, outside of the big news events, it was just a slight tumble down. Equities markets were mixed. You had a couple days up. You had a couple days down. My Another one of my picks, uh, XOP, was just down heavy this week. I, I swung and missed at that one. But specifically when we look at the levels and what I'm seeing, you know, if you're a bull and you, and you think, now, you know, there's, there's going to be some government intervention that actually moves the market, if you think you're going to start seeing some of this virus news come out, that's a little more, that, that's much better, which is good, um, which, which is good. I, I think 2251, 2352, 2485, and 26, you know, 55 are your four upside levels you should be looking at. I don't see it getting above 24 bucks next week specifically. Um, so I'm not necessarily telling you 26 bucks is a target level. Otherwise, I'd be buying as much crude as I could up at this point. But you know, if we're at $22, $23, especially those are some really large volume benches, specifically, you know, when I look for day trading, I look at the, the, the volume side. I, I just, you know, there are multiple strategies. You can trade price action, um, which is what Tomcat does. And he's very successful doing that. Um, I like order flow. It's just a little more, um, it's just not more straightforward. They're both straightforward. It's just really, what's your flavor? I, I got trained in order flow and that's what I like. So, you know, when I look from a volume perspective, those are the levels I like. On the downside, this is where, um, you know, order flow sort of not necessarily fails you, but it now on, you know, on the downside, there's no levels for us because there's, we haven't traded here since 1999. So there's, you know, the levels, you know, if you're looking at a price action, it's tough to even come up with levels, but you can work it down. You're using some Fibonacci's and stuff like that. But really the one level that, you know, if we get below 1950, which I think has is, is, is been the floor right now that has acted very, very well. You know, Stu mentioned this two weeks ago and we never thankfully got down there, but I think it's now time to bring it back up. It's at $17 level, um, which is, it would be dangerous to see because now we're just, now we're just swinging. We're just guessing at this point because it's been a while since we've seen oil that low. Um, I mean, are you, what's your bias for the week, Stu? Or you think that's the, that that's the level or are you more of a bull coming in? I think it's going to even, uh, I'm going to stay with the 17 this week. Okay. Good to know. Uh, I, I, I'm throwing a dart, but I'm not feeling good. 
Yeah, no. And, and, and when we look at what happened at the EIA this week, big build, obviously, you know, we're expecting big builds, as I mentioned last week, uh, 20 million at Cushing, 19.2. So, you know, that I guess now we're talking 800,000 barrels means a lot. So I'll try to get a little more accurate with the numbers. It was expecting 11 million barrel build. Distillates were up. Everything was up. Here's the key, though. Total domestic production declined only 100,000 barrels. Would have liked to have seen that number higher. And I actually was, was trading the uh, – on the DOE drop there at 8.30. And I, I got not my shorts taken off, but I definitely lost my upside because I was expecting a lot bigger of a production drop. And so was the market based upon what the API came out yesterday. So the market actually tumbled a little bit coming off that 1,000 number, uh, that 100,000 number. So I'm looking for next week to see in that four or five, 600,000 barrels supply cut. That's, I was shocked. That's a little low number to me in terms of US. I would have expected a lot more production due to just been naturally shut in this week. Oh, hey, Michael, I got a question for you. Uh -huh. We had, I believe, two different refineries um, curtail production. One of them cut their production in half, and another one is halting total uh, and mm -hmm. sent their workers home because of the inability to store product. So do you think that's going to play in? I think it will. Refined product is is, is a little different of a storage uh problem right. than it is the actual non-refined product and that's it's two interesting case studies that'd be very interesting i'm not as a familiar with the refined product side so that would be someone to get on the energy expert network someone who's on the downstream side who actually facilitates okay once we've refined the product how do we actually ship it to our distributors and what that you know looks like because i can imagine that you know gasoline inventories are about to be whoop, going up and those drop here you know those dropped at 8 30 this morning now, so, part of those stories that came across the news desk is they're not taking anything off in a uh, new product. Uh, I mean, product from up. Yeah. So, I can imagine. And, and, yeah. and I can imagine. And um, that's why I think that hundred thousand barrels off the market last week in terms of domestic production, that's, I think slim, we need to see a lot more coming off. And I think that I look for that number to increase next week. You know, like I said, four or five, 600,000 bills, we're going to need it. Yep. Um, all right, let's get into the last part here, which is basically our bias for the week. Tomcat's got another great two picks for us. Um, Stu, can you give us a quick overview of what Tomcat's got for us? Oh, you bet. Tomcat is bottom feeding. Uh, and uh, Michael, um, we I love it. I'm smiling if you can't see me. I love it. Um, we do not give uh, financial advice. We no. are here for entertainment value, right? Okay. Oh, no, we don't give investment advice. We just give our biases. Thank you very much. Okay, Tom Kit, uh, Tomcat, um, which was his fighter call sign, which is kind of cool. Uh, Penn, Virginia is looking fairly bleak, but he's shortening and going through on uh, that. I went through that. If you want to go through um, that, it is yeah. PC. Go ahead and show us your chart there. Yeah, so if you can see my screen here on YouTube, uh, lucky you. If you're listening on the podcast, I will try to do a good explanation. So Penn Virginia Corp. Tickerson will PVAC. You know, they, they, they've been a wild swinger. You know, the past three, four days, they've actually been on our biggest movers of the day in terms of uh, to the upside, which actually when you look in this weak oil environment is probably a good sign for someone who's ready to pull back a little bit. They've actually outperformed the S&P and the XOP contract 
the past two days. So I see exactly what, you know, uh, so I, so I see, you know, the thought process behind the price action really at them. When you look at a, from a volume side, he's got a great level. I mean, you know, the level he was in was $4 and 33 cents. So what you see it's testing a resistance level, which is the point of control for the whole day. So as you saw his entrance point is right here in this green mark right there, which is $4 and 36 cents where, which, which is, if you go on a chart and you go on the charts that we'll list in the links here, that's actually the point of control for the whole week, which means that's the point at which the most volume was traded, which means that's a sticky level. Once we get to that level, price doesn't necessarily change that drastically. So if you, so if you see that vol, so if you see, um, if you're in that level, understand that it's, a, that, that when it moves, it's going to move quickly, but you have a lot of time to get in and out. And he, obviously there was three different touches. He spent a good part of probably a day, day and a half trying to line it up. He finally got it. Look what happened. Fell off the table, fell to our first bench, which is $4. So he's already picked up about 30 cents, but he's trading options. So we're looking at premiums, um, which is a little different. You know, we'll have to get, I, you know, if I'd known this a little before, I maybe would have pulled up an options table for you. And we run through that. Um, but really the, the, the downside level, he's probably looking for $3 and 40 cents, anywhere down to you know $3 and 20 cents. That's where that is sort of that fat chunk of volume down there is where I think is, would be a good exit point. Um, what's his next one? Um, Oil States International. And it's, uh, I think he's already out at his money. Um, taking a look at the percentage, maybe not. Um, oils, it's the same thing. Both of these are bottom feeding, uh, same play. Um, I'm not sure on the entry, but it's heading south pretty quick. So he may already be out. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's a very great, it's, I love the strategy and, and, and that's what I tell people, you know, when they ask me, Hey, I mean, do you have any, you know, what's your trading advice? I don't have any, my, 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 my advice is there are, you know, 10,000 different ways to trade, like much like there's, you know, a thousand different ways to skin a cat. It's whatever your flavor is. You know, I personally prefer the order flow. So if you ask me, Hey, how would you get in on an order flow for this one? Well, I'll tell you that, you know, price action, you know, there's so many different ways you can do it. Moving averages, you can use RSIs, MACD. Some people have exclusively, they use Fibonacci zones, time cycles. I mean, there's so many different ways to do this. So, um, what, you know, generally when you're looking for to get into a trade, ha just have a strategy. And, and continue to execute because most strategies, not that they don't work, but it's just, you don't give them enough time to execute. You're not disciplined enough to just, okay, maybe the first tw two times I execute this actual strategy, it fails. That third time, if you just keep the same game plan, maybe it happens because at the end of the day, a strategy is just trying to increase your, is trying to just lower your risk. There's always going to be a risk in this. So um, that's again, why we don't give investment advice. We just give our biases. Um, so and when I look at oil states, Inter oh, sorry, Stu. <laughs> sorry. No, no worries. I just, you know, when we look at Oil States International, um, you know, the entrance point for him, he was just playing moving averages. So he saw obviously the moving average, um, the 200 cross the 50 uh, to the top side, which means it's now entered bearish market. Um, the the uh, Oil States was trading at its 50 day moving average. As you can tell, there was a big chunk of volume shot out. And then, you know, why he probably got in there and I'm just now putting words in his mouth, but then he saw the point of control was to the South. And that once he saw this breakdown from the moving average, he probably, he said, Oh, here's my next level. And if, if he's already out, that's definitely that options play he went with. Um, my other three, uh, I'm, no, I'm hanging on Geopark LNG. I'm hanging on for longer, but my interface um, is actually in phase. Uh, it is the chip manufacturer between uh, solar and storage. And that's why I'm uh, hanging on to that one for longer right now. It's just kind of poking along. Uh, it was up a little bit more in uh, 
trading this morning, but uh, I'm just hanging tough on what I got. Yeah, no, and I think that's smart. I'm liquidating XOP. Um, I was, I'm just going to take that as a loser and move on. Um, I'll take my shorts on oil as a, as a winner this week. Um, oil was pretty much the bias was, was down all week. If you were looking to get in on anything from a, whether it was a micro, you know, anything on a, from a micro swing trade to a couple days. Um, as far as what I'm looking at going forward, I'm just going to continue to be sh- short oil. I, I think 17 is the target. Um, it'll be interesting to see how far it falls. Um, unless it gets me, unless, unless oil pumps above $21 and 50 cents, my bias is going to stay short and I'm just going to continue to roll with that as we move on to next week. Not a spicy pick, but you know, I'm trying to rebound. XOP got pounded this week. It was down about, it was down about 10%. I need to, I need to regain some losses. But, uh, well, cool. That's, um, well, Stu, before we let these guys go, you got anything that came across your news decks this week that we need to chat about? Um, I think we've already covered just about everything. My head's spinning because I have no idea what's going on. So. Exactly. And it's going to be an absolutely insane, insane next week. And we will be catching you guys on Monday to get you caught up with everything that happened over the weekend and what we think the next week looks like. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 digital closing route here on Oil & Gas 360. We'll see you guys tomorrow.